Christ in Relationships is Dr. Joel Hunter's series, and he continues with his ninth message, Using Us. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and it reads as follows. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together, and were bewildered, because they were each one of them hearing them speak his own language. And they were amazed and marveled, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. And now, let's join Dr. Joel Hunter for his ninth message entitled, Using Us, as he continues in his series, Christ in Relationships. Well, if you will turn to the second chapter of Acts, we will try to proceed from last week. I don't know what happened last week. Well, I do know. The Holy Spirit came. And uh, I just it's so great when, when uh, God just works so profoundly in individual lives. All weekend people were praying and all weekend lives were being changed. Monday night, I have no idea what happened Monday night. People were just coming down. I mean, it was just a, it's coming down and confessing and repenting and getting saved and getting healed. It was just, it was just absolutely fantastic. Um, and and the, the human part of me just wants to camp out here for a while. You know, build a booth, stick around. You know, this is this is good ground here. Let's 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 kind of uh, uh, dwell on this for a little while since it touched so many people. But the message last week was you got to go on from here, and that, so that's exactly what we're going to do. This message will not be. We hope we give you a little break uh, emotionally here. This will not be uh, so so personally emotional. But yet, at the same time, I want to take you into even a deeper and more profound understanding of the gospel than you received last week. Because the next step of maturity is something very different than what we've been talking about. See, what we've been talking about for the last five weeks or six weeks or whatever it's been is how Christ builds relationships the, the, the characteristics he put it, puts into relationships for use in the kingdom. And that gets in our mind just the individual-to-individual qualities that he wants us to have for each other. And we have, we've talked about those characteristics, about 
how He wants us to see Him in our midst and, and how He wants us to be other-oriented. You know, go ye therefore as you are going, making disciples. You know, the, the Christ-oriented relationship is always other-centered. And He talked about, uh, in, in the Scripture, about Jesus teaching us that, that, the, that the Scriptures point historically to where we are today, that all of them to come together to make sense for Christ to be doing what He is today. We talked about being authorized to bring heaven down on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And about how when we have those relationships, we are literally authorized to bring what God has planned into reality into this world. We talked about how God makes us wait many times on Him for the big events of life, just so that we understand that it's God that does those and not us. Unless the Lord builds a house, they who build it labor in vain. We understand that God wants us to be constantly anticipating His arrival to a tremendous result. And then last week, we talked about the price of going on, that anticipation. How do you rebuild life after you've been devastated? I know so many. I, we, this week, we've sold 700 tapes so far. I mean, it's just, I mean, people struggle to go on. There are very few of us that have not experienced the rejection that the disciples experienced with Judas. There are very few of us who have loved people in a way they have not loved us and have had to rebuild life after the end of that relationship. But that's exactly what He wants us to do. Now, where does He want us to rebuild into? What does He want us to rebuild so that we can go on with His work? The secret term here, not secret, but but the term here is team. He wants us to form into a team. That's why the disciples had to reorganize. Because they needed to reform the team so that they could go on and experience what they were going to experience on this day. Now let me read this scripture pretty much without comment. And then we'll go through it. When the day of Pentecost had come, that is, by the way, the harvest festival. This is at 50 days after the 16th day of Nisan, after Passover. They celebrate the harvest and they bring the first fruits and they sacrifice them to God. And so, Pentecost, the the Holy Spirit came to all the church on harvest day. And they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven... Now, before... I I know I said without comment, but just let me get this... I want you to notice the litany here because the terms all and each are interspersed. You know, as we go down, notice this as we go down. They were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues and the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And when this sound occur, occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and marveled and said, Behold, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And then they begin to name the individual nations. And, and in verse 10 it says, They were both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking, saying they are full of sweet wine. How is the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost different than when the Holy Spirit had showed up before? You see, this isn't the first mention of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. The the Holy Spirit comes with some frequency in the Old Testament. But you must understand the method by which the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes at the initiation of God upon one person for the benefit of a group of people. When the time is right to excite a certain event or to anoint a certain leadership, the Holy Spirit comes. But in the church, at the birth of the church, it is completely different. There are no individuals in this group. They were praying, the Bible says, with one accord. And there wasn't one or two that received the Holy Spirit. The apostles weren't the only ones that received the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they all received the Holy Spirit. God poured out on the group, on every one of them, the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to say a couple of things. Number one, I want to say that I don't think that we expect for God to pour out the Holy Spirit on all of us. I mean, we we like to think of it. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if God would give us all the Holy Spirit? But that's not how we pray. We still pray Old Testament. God give me as an individual the Holy Spirit for this purpose in my life. And then after we pray it, we don't believe it's going to happen. We don't, I don't think, understand. We have not comprehended what would happen if God did this again on the church. If the entire church at once was completely filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't think we can even comprehend the power that would be. And you know what? Even when we can, we get a little bit afraid of it. Especially those who aren't familiar with the Lord say, Oh, I don't want to be one of those kinds of churches. I don't want to go through that kind of experience. I remember dating a girl in high school, and, and she had an older sister who was the homecoming queen. And, and she had this boyfriend who was really handsome and had a gorgeous, this is what I looked at all the time, Harley Davidson motorcycle. I mean, this thing was absolutely, it was huge. It was gorgeous. It was gleaming. It was the envy of all the town. I just turned 16. The guy's name was Frank Dameron, and I got to know him. And, and you know, I saw, I said, 
Frank, boy, I just love to ride that motorcycle sometime. He looked at me and said, you know, I wasn't any bigger than I am now. <laughs> he looked at that motorcycle and he looked at me. He said, well, have you ever ridden a motorcycle before? And I said, well, I, I, I rode a Vespa motor scooter once. He looked at that Harley, he looked at me and he said, oh, yeah, and walked away. And there was a part of me that wanted to ride that kind of power around town. But there was also a part of me that knew if I climbed on that thing, it would kill me. It, had absolutely, it was more power than I could handle. Absolutely, I'd, I'd, just, I'd wreck myself, I'd wreck the bike, I'd wreck everything. So there's a part of me that wanted it and a part of me that didn't. And you know what? I think people are the same about the Holy Spirit. I think people are so much the same about the Holy Spirit, they don't really prepare to receive the Holy Spirit in all of His fullness, in all of His broadness. We don't really expect it to happen. It's kind of like that old joke about the, the dog chasing the greyhound bus. What would he do if he caught him? You know, what are you going, what are you going to do with the greyhound? It's just too big to do much with. Many people say, I hear people coming, you know, I wish I could tell Clinton a thing or two. Let me follow up on that. Let's say President Clinton comes in here right now and stands right in front of you and says, I hear you want to be t- you, you've been wanting to talk to me. What do you want to say? You know what you'd say? You'd say the same thing I'd say. Uh, 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 well, I have... Uh, and this health care thing kind of bugs me. I, I had something to say to you. You wouldn't know what to say. You know why? Because you haven't prepared for it. You know why? Because you don't expect it. And people are the same way about the Holy Spirit. You see, unless we are prepared for that kind of power, God's not going to give it to us. He cares about us too much. He's not going to let us wreck. Unless we prepare our hearts and we expect that to come, it isn't going to come. But yet, that is God's plan for the church. That was his model that he built at the beginning. And I realize that's a double dose right at the beginning. Some, some of you take medicine, and sometimes you take a double dose right at the beginning just to shock your body. And, and that was the period of miracles. And I believe God had a double dose of miracles for the beginning. But I don't believe he's done with the Holy Spirit in the church. But we don't really understand how to prepare for it. Let me tell you how to prepare for it. Open your Bibles to verse 1. And let me show you something different about their prayers than is present in our prayers. Look at verse 1 and what it says. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now that word all together, I like the King James Version better. They were all in one accord. Homothumadon is the Greek word. All in one accord. All praying according to one purpose. All with one mind. All with one intention. Now, let me show you where else that word shows up. Look back in verse uh, 14 of chapter 1. This is how they're praying. And these all with one mind, the 120, with one mind. Homothumadon, were continually devoting themselves to prayer. They continued to pray 
in one accord to one purpose. And even after the church was birthed, that was the character of the church. Turn to chapter 2, verse 44. Look at that. And all those who had believed were together. Homothumadon. There it is again. In one accord. They were all agreeing together. Now let me tell you how we pray for the Holy Spirit in the wrong way. Because we assume that receiving the Holy Spirit is the same as repenting for our sins. We assume that receiving the Holy Spirit is a very individual and personal thing. And that God's going to dole out that Holy Spirit in amounts that we need. We assume that Holy Spirit, praying for the Holy Spirit, is to fix our lives. That's why God wants to give us the Holy Spirit, because He wants to fix us as individuals. Just like He did when it came into to, to repenting and sin. Oh God, forgive me. Get everything out of my life that's, gonna, that's going to get in your way, and so on and so forth. And so therefore, Lord, I am praying that I can personally receive whatever I need from you. Well, that's all right for repentance, but that's not. A New Testament prayer for the Holy Spirit. You see, let me give you an example. If these 120 people had been together, praying together, even if they had prayed the very same words, that is not necessarily praying in one accord. That is not necessarily praying one prayer. If they were all praying, Lord, give me what I need. Lord, fill me up and fix my life. That's not one prayer. That's 120 prayers. There's only one prayer you can pray and be in one accord. Lord, give us all the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not about us as individuals. It's about us as a covenant people. It's about what God has been building from the very beginning. And when people say, oh, I want the Holy Spirit in my life, they shut out the rest of God's plan. And they diminutize what God would do with that Holy Spirit. They have no idea how they are mitigating the focus of God. God wants more than that for us. You know what a miracle is? A miracle, C.S. Lewis would say, is a snapshot of what God wants to do generally. A miracle is not a weird thing God does. It's not something different than He usually does. A miracle is something that He does in a certain period of time, in a certain space, that gives you a picture of what He's doing overall what his long-term vision is. C.S. Lewis said, a miracle is God writing in small letters in your life what he has written in letters so huge across time and space very few can see them. And so we get this little snapshot and we have a glimpse of what God wants to do generally. Let me give you an example. St. Gregory the, the Great in the 6th century wrote this. He said, why is it that people stand in awe of Jesus 
turning the water into wine in the wedding feast of, of Cana of Galilee. But they don't give another thought to God the Father who turns water into wine all the time through the water going into the roots of the vine, traveling up, forming the grape, and giving in due time that grape falling off fermented and becoming wine. You see, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. A miracle is not something weird or different. A miracle reveals the overall intention of God. And so therefore, when God works a miracle, He's trying to get a message through to us. It's not about us. It's not about our lives. It's not about that little personal snapshot that He's chosen to grace us with. It's about what He's doing for all the world. Now, what was the miracle of Pentecost? Turn with me. Let's, walk, let's see it. What is God trying to communicate here? Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Was this just a one-time thing where God wanted to strut his stuff so that people would pay attention? That kind of theology drives me crazy. It just gets God in a little space and time. Well, this is the God of the 70s, you know, instead of the God of eternity. You know, you realize what he was doing here. This is the harvest on earth of what God said he was going to do since he called his entire people. In Abram, in, in, in chapter 12 of Genesis... Where, where God called Abram out and he said to Abram, I will make of you a great nation. From the very time God called his people, his will was not about individuals. It was about forming a people for himself. And so these, these 1990 or 90 Americans that come to the, oh, God, fix my individual life, and then I know you'll be finished, have missed... 90% of what he's doing. No. God said from the very beginning, this is not about persons or individuals. It's not just about them. It's about what I'm forming in all people for all space and all time. You, you, the third verse says, I will form of you a great nation, and by you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. What families? The devout families, the people who take God seriously. You understand? The devout Jews from every nation, both Jews and proselytes, those people who take God seriously, heard that day the gospel in their own language. This wasn't a little isolated event. God was fulfilling what he had begun. Well, take a look at the other bookend. Take a look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. This is, the, this is the end of the sentence that mirrors what Pentecost is. This is worship in heaven. After all is said and done, this is what we'll see. Revelation 7, 9. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb 
clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see what Pentecost was. It was a little snapshot of what God is doing for all eternity. And it wasn't about individuals and, Oh, look, I can speak a language I don't know. It was about God gathering into the harvest the devout. It was about God using people in a way that they couldn't possibly have anticipated or manipulated. Because they had prepared themselves by wanting as much for each other as they wanted for themselves. That's how you pray for the Holy Spirit. You say, oh God, pour out your Spirit on all of us. Because I'm a part of a family, I'm a part of a group, I'm a part of your covenant people. And I want to be in that great number that you're calling. It's not just about fixing my life. I realize that, God. I understand that. What does that mean for you in addition to your prayers? One of the things it means is this. That you've got to give yourself to being used in ways that are surprising. You can't say, oh God, give me the Holy Spirit so I can fix this area of my life. You can't have with God a segment of His will that you manipulate and control toward your goal. If God comes, you're riding a Harley. And let me tell you something, you had better be prepared to do whatever God wants you to do. You can't be a little bit Christian just like you can't be a little bit pregnant You can't ask for a little bit of the Holy Spirit and expect God to say, okay, you can stand a couple of drops. How about if I just give you a couple of drops because I don't want to overload you here. you got to decide, am I going to pray for this deal or am I not going to pray for this deal? And if I'm going to pray for it, I'm not going to confine it to a segment of my life. I'm not even going to confine it to me. I'm I'm going to pray for the whole body of Christ. I'm not even going to confine it to Northland. I'm going to start praying for the church because the church does not even come close to its potential. How many of you think that looking at the institutional church right now as it is, that's all God ever had planned for it? About as strong right now as it ever ought to be. I don't think God would want us to use use us in any better way or any more significant way than He already has. Holy cow, I hope that's not true. We are a sick and deteriorating institution. You know why? Because man has taken the church and molded it into an institution for his own ends. He wants to feel better. He wants to justify himself. He wants to do good in the community and feel good about it. He wants to have a place to go to meet nice friends. He wants to have a place to go to so that his kids don't get too wild. And so that they have an alternative to hanging around in some of the bad places. And from that goal, the church is a sick thing. You know why? Because we were meant to care 
as much about what God wanted to do with all of us, about changing the world as we were to improving our own lives. A miracle is when the results are much greater than any energy you put into it. And so as long as we're playing this cause and effect thing with the church, we won't experience the power of God. It's so important for us to understand. Listen, as you pray for God's power in the church, as you pray that God would do with all of us what he wants to do, and not just for your life, something's going to happen in your life. I mean, you will be benefited by that kind of prayer because you have been unselfish enough not to just concentrate on your own stuff. It's the other orientation that makes a tremendous difference in our lives. And, and I, don't know, I don't know exactly how God's going to benefit your life, and neither do you. But there will be an ability that you know does not come from you. And it, and it comes in whatever situation you're thrown into. Kind of like a cat. I, I, I read a, a, a cartoon from Garfield a few years ago. And Garfield, the first couple of frames of this thing, Garfield is falling like this. Feet straight up in the air. Looking down. And you see him falling and falling. In the third frame, he gets about a foot from the ground and he goes, whoop. You know, just like cats do. Always land on their feet. In the fourth frame, he's just standing there going, I don't know how we does it. We just does it. <laughs> That's what it's like having the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't know how you do it. It's got nothing to do with you. It's got something to do with an instilled capability that you have. It's got nothing to do with you picking out your own battles or your own falls. It's got everything to do with God putting you in circumstances and somehow it coming out right because God's sovereign. That's what it's got to do with. And so we need to begin to pray, God, pour your spirit out on the church. Now, let me tell you the difference that we're going to make in Northland. Now, I'll close with this. The difference that Northland is going to go through because we want to be structured for this kind of prayer. Now, I told you a few weeks ago that it's always better to set your house in order and wait for God to do something than to go out and do something and try to get it in order so God will bless it. And that's exactly why we're going to go through the restructuring we're going to go through. We want to set our house in order so that God will hear the prayers of people who know each other. This size congregation, this one to three hundred size congregation, seems to me to be very important in history. It, it's the size of congregation in a New Testament church. It is the um, uh, oikonomia. It's the, it's the house church that's, that's much larger than just one of our houses. It's, it's not a small group. It's, it's not the, the huge gathering, the politia. It is... It is it is this middle-sized group, this synagogue-sized group, that is missing in many of the huge churches today. Now, we are not going to not gather as a big group anymore, because, frankly, I love to worship with thousands of people. I think it's absolutely fantastic and exhilarating, and I just absolutely love it. We're not going to stop that. Nor are we going to stop the small groups, because the small groups are so very important for that that personal kind of... Uh, 
repair and attention and, and, and encouragement and support. That's good. And, 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 and you know what? If, if your mama didn't love you when you were young, you need some folks to love you when you're old. And that's what those small groups are for. We, that's good. But there's this middle-sized group where you're called for to absolutely participate. All of your spiritual gifts are tested. You know, you're, you're called out to be laying your life down, serving a group that can use all you got. It's, it's, you can't use all you got in a group big, this, this big. They don't, we don't know each other. You can't use all you got in a, in a small group. Some of you are gifted in administration. Some of you are gifted in, in uh, uh, leadership and, and, and evangelism and so on and so forth. And, and, and that's, not gonna, that's, not gonna, that's not going to call out all of your gifts. But that group of 100 to 300 people really will allow us to come together in groups that that will will grow us up and allow us to lay our lives down in ministry for other people. And that's who's going to be invited from Northern into those groups. Anybody who is ready to give up just their individual quest and be joined together to pray and to live in one accord for the benefit of the whole group and for the benefit of the calling of the devout from every nation. Now, I'll get to the practical parts of this later, and you'll read more about it. Uh, uh, but I want you to begin to pray about that kind of a group in your area. Because we'd love to see these things pop up all over Florida during the week. To have that kind of neighborhood witness, that kind of resource in the neighborhood, that kind of service, that kind of personal immediate access to the church family so that we can be completely re-socialized and completely loving each other and completely laying our lives down for each other. Why? So that the Holy Spirit will fully come upon the church and will get out of this silly, individualistic, self-centered, weak kind of Christianity that has so burdened us in this nation. Let me tell you one more story and then I'll quit. It's a story about the land on which the temple was built. It's a legend. But yet, it kind of sums up what I've been talking about. It sums up the kind of spirit whereupon God builds. The legend goes like this, that the original plot of land for the temple was owned by two brothers who loved each other dearly. The younger brother was a single man. He was a hard worker. He had some trouble working in the sun. He had certain weaknesses, but but he was a hard worker. And and the older brother was uh, also a hard worker, but he had a huge family. They owned the land half and half. Well, it came to the time of harvest, Pentecost time. And they began to gather up the sheaves of grain. And um, the younger brother, after the harvest, laid in his bed at night and, and thought, you know, my older brother has so many children. There's so many more mouths to feed. They need this grain so much more than I do. 
I'm just going to sneak over there in the middle of the night and take him a bunch of my bundles of grain and, and put it with his and he'll never know the difference. At the exact same time, the older brother was laying in bed awake. He was saying, my poor younger brother, he, he doesn't work well in the heat. This is so much more difficult for him to gather this grain than it is for my whole family to gather. And, and, and actually, you know, I don't want him to have to work this hard. So I'm just going to take a few of the bundles of my grain and go over and put it with his grain and he'll never know the difference. Well, they both did the plan at different times of the night. They couldn't see it was dark. Got up in the morning, looked at their supply of grain, and there was absolutely no decrease in their supply of grain. They couldn't figure out what happened. So they determined to do the same thing the next night. And they did the same thing the next night, and they got up the second morning and looked, and there was still no decrease in the grain. Finally, their curiosity got to them. And so the first brother gets up and carries two bundles of grain over to the property line and just sits there and waits and looks into the darkness. In a little while, here comes another brother carrying two bundles of grain heading right for him. They saw each other, they just burst out laughing and fell in each other's arms. That's the ground, they say, upon which the temple was built. That's the spirit upon which God still builds churches. And that's what he looks to. And that's what he looks for as we pray to be receivers of his Holy Spirit. That kind of, you're as important as I am, my prayers are going to be as fervent for you as they are for me. You want the Holy Spirit in your life? Want it just as much in the church. And watch what happens. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you will not let us rest in a selfish and self-centered world. Thank you that you will not let us stop just when we hurt. But, but you will not only give us the courage to go on. You will also, dear Lord God, give us something greater to aim for. You did not put us in this world to get crushed and healed. You put us in this world to change it. To absolutely make a difference in how the world lived. To call out from every nation the devout. And so God, to do that, we know we need the Holy Spirit. We can't do it by ourselves. Give us the mentality of those two brothers who would not think of themselves but would always think of the other. Help us to pray when we pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon the whole church. Help us to pray from now on in one accord. Help us to advance united. Help us, dear Lord God, prepare for more of what you did on Pentecost so that people will come to know your love and your salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.